Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the River Blast podcast, the Ralph Kiner episode, episode number four here. I'm Noah Hiles. Joined with me via Skype is Alex Stump. Alex, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm glad we didn't have to fight over, you know, who's going to be this episode. It was obviously going to be Kiner. Yeah. I, I'm, how long have they had that number retired? I can't recall a number four. For the Pirates, other oh, than Kiner. Our lifetimes, at least. Yeah. Probably our father's lifetimes, too. Yeah. So, let's take a look uh, at what has been going on recently with the Bucks, And we'll start with this West Coast road trip that they're on. Very important. Obviously, every game is important from here on out for the Bucks, And uh, they take 2-3 or against a Colorado Rockies team. That's ahead of them in the wild card standings. They lose on Monday despite a really nice effort from Musgrove on the mound. They get a complete game from Tyone on Tuesday. And then yesterday, Chris Archer delivers five big innings. The bullpen goes four, only allowing one run. And uh, they, they hold on for the win, a big series win. Uh, Alex, what are your take, takeaways from the Colorado series? I mean, it's tough to call, you know, a series in you know, early August, a must win, but man, that felt like a must win after, uh, they lost two or three to the Cardinals, even though they stole game one in that series. That's a tough pill to swallow. That's a team that's right in the wild card race with you. And that has, you know, the, who I would vote for league MVP right now, you know, leading them Cardinals amazingly aren't dead yet. So you couldn't afford to lose this series to the Rockies. And you brought up the Musgrove start. He went out there. He was a horse, seven innings, one earned run and you get shut out, That's it's tough to waste something like that, especially in Colorado. But Tyon came in, complete game. I don't know why people keep saying that he doesn't have ace stuff. That was an ace-like performance that night. And even Chris Archer in uh, Game 3 of the series, not his best stuff again, but you know what? He gave you five, handed it off to the bullpen, which now has a pretty good uh, four back, you know, four guys of the bullpen now. I think a lot of people will be confident with going to Santana, then Kella. Then uh, Crick and Vasquez. So he gave them what they needed to. So even though he hasn't, you know, given two starts, eh, Pirates are 2-0 and in his starts. Can't argue with that. That was a very big series win. Going out to San Francisco, it's going to be another very big series. they got to, at the very least, take two, I think. they got to split this four-game set. Ideally, take three. Build a little momentum for the Minnesota series and then the home stretch or homestand coming up. Yeah, uh, to build more on your points about the pitching, I mean, five earned runs in three starts. Yeah, in in Colorado is incredible. And then to talk more about Archer as well, um, like you said, didn't really go that far, only five innings, a little bit better than his first start. But in both games he's pitched with the Pirates, he is shown the ability to do something that not many other pitchers on this team have, and that is to get a strikeout with runners in scoring position. You know, a lot of these guys on the staff, they're pitched to contact, and when you have runners on second and third or the bases loaded with less than two outs, you kind of have to hope and pray for a ground ball or an infield fly or, you know, something really misfortunate. You have to hope for a batter error. But with Archer on the mound, even like we've said, these last two starts, he did not have his best stuff. But even when he's not his best, he is still able to use his stuff to just overpower hitters. And to have a guy like that on the mound 
when it's a rubber match against a team you're chasing in, you know, early August, that's that's huge. And the Pirates really haven't had that guy acquired for a while, and we don't want to keep harping on this trade, but that's why you traded for this guy, to pitch in ball games like that, to be, you know, your series clincher guy, to be the, the, the person you have on the mound, you hand the ball to in the big games. And he's he's done that, which is great. He gives the bullpen, like you said, a chance to finish the games off, which they've done in both of his games, and which they've pretty much done all throughout the month of July and now August so far. And like you said, coming into the, these next two series, to me, are everyone talked about how important Colorado was, but this giant series is very pivotal because, and the Minnesota one, because after this, there are no easy teams for a while. I mean, after this, they come home, they play, they play Colorado, or Chicago, excuse me, and then they play Atlanta, they play St. Louis, they play Milwaukee. Those are their opponents for the rest of the month, and all of those teams are ahead of them either in the division standings or in the wild card, or both. So they they really don't have any easier opponents than the ones they're about to face in these next you know six games. So if they can get out of those two series with four to five wins, that will be huge. Come back a little bit higher over 500 than where they left, probably come back a little closer in the standings to that second wild card spot from where they left. That's what they need to do. They need to build up ground. They need to beat up on these teams that they are clearly better than like they did in early April. I will say that I, I will say that the Giants are hanging around though. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're not, you know, really an easy team. They're also in that, you know, win a couple big series. If they do to the Pirates what the Pirates did to say the Brewers and they take this, you know, sweep them at home in a big long series. They're right back in the wild card race. You're, you're going to be playing a former champion that's playing desperate right now. That's always, always scary. See, I I look at them and just they're one game under 500, and we're we're in the second week of August. I just think that 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 club knows that their time is probably up. I think you know this pirate series to them might be the final chance. Like if they sweep, you know they're back in it. But if they don't win this series against the Pirates, I see the Giants starting to trade pieces away, like Andrew McCutcheon and others. I think that this is kind of their their last stand. I agree, I agree and I think you got to be careful whenever a champion plays desperate. Yeah, I agree. So now let's, speaking of desperate, um, there's not a lot of desperation from the Pirates manager or showing of any urgency to win, it seems. Uh, with the lineups that have been heavily criticized both this past weekend and in the Colorado series. You just look, and I know baseball's a long season. I know that guys get tired, but the games are pretty important now, Alex. And, you know, we've seen Jordan McRae come in we <laughs> in a tie game on Alex Saturday. McRae. Oh, Alex McRae. I'm sorry, I keep mess- I'm messing that up. You keep messing that guy's name up, man. I, I just get... If only you knew an Alex to remember. Yeah, I mean, I just get guys' names who should be in AAA confused. Uh, that's that's basically oh. it. Um, not you. You, de- you deserve to be in the big leagues, Alex. But yeah, Alex McRae comes in in a tie game on Saturday that they 
could have won. They had a lot of momentum that he pretty much squashed. Sunday, you see David Freeze gets the rest with the injury, which he could play through with on Saturday and could start on Monday, but he couldn't even come up to pinch hit on Sunday. Adam Frazier, who is red hot, does not get playing time on Monday or Tuesday. So you're seeing, you know, hot hands being rested. You're seeing the bullpen being kind of, I'll say it, kind of being babied after having two off days earlier last week. Alex, what are your thoughts on the lineup combinations and Clint giving guys this amount of rest as we get into the nitty-gritty of the 2018 season? Well, I will say that David Freeze uh, fiasco on Sunday is mind-blowing. I, I don't know how else, you know, by the miracle, he went to the Colorado River and, you know, he, his arm was healed. He no longer had that contusion and he could pinch it because that game on Sunday. He started was, on Monday, I thought. Starting on Monday, yeah. yeah. He couldn't even pinch it Sunday. And I know Hurdle was, you know, a proponent whenever you, you have an off day, you have an off day which I can't really argue against, but he should at least be available to pinch hit if, you know, he can actually swing the bat. Which, if he can't, this is a whole moot point. I'm just suspicious because he homered on Saturday and was starting Monday. It's like, how bad was he in between? Right there. So, I mean, the Luplo double play, uh, Harrison came in, made a couple outs as a pinch hitter. Yeah, an infield fly, and then S-Rod ends the game. S-Rod ends the game. Yeah, striking out. It's not good. It wasn't a good look. But I will say this. One thing I do like, uh, this is kind of becoming a moot point now because Josh Bell is back, but I like that Cervelli got some time at first base to get both his and Diaz's bat in the lineup. Someone like Jose Osuna, who really shouldn't be a major league hitter if you look at his stats right now. <laughs> He's a triple-A guy at the moment. You know, these are big games. We're going to put our best two hitters in the lineup. I like that mentality. I liked seeing Cervelli at first. That I that I did appreciate. But here on out, I don't want to see, like you said, I don't want to see Jose Osuna in the starting lineup. He's back in AAA. That's fine. I don't want to see Jordan Luplo in the starting lineup. If you need to give a guy an off day and play someone in the outfield, it should be Adam Frazier or, you know, Call me crazy. Why not try Josh Harrison out in the corner outfield position? It can't be. Yeah, they've done it before, and it can't be any worse of a defender, you know, than other guys they put out there earlier in the season. Um, So I'm just tired of seeing AAA guys come in and get playing time over not only major league quality guys, but some of your hottest hitters. The David Freeze thing, and I'm 100%. Uh, a believer in that he defended his manager there. He stood up for him when he told the media, yeah, I didn't even swing today. My arm hurt that bad. That's a veteran guy doing what he thought was best for the team, which is probably right. Because if he said, I could have played today, he screws up everything chemistry-wise in that clubhouse. So he did the veteran move there, which is classy, which is what David Freeze does. He's a class act. But he could have pinched it on Sunday Alex McRae should not have pitched on Saturday. We're going to get into that a little bit later. And Adam Frazier should have been in the lineup on Monday. I know that he helped them win on, on Wednesday. They didn't really need as bad on Tuesday. Harrison hit a home run. But when that guy is hitting as hot as he is, and you get shut out 2 to nothing in Coors Field, 
and you look at your bench and you see Adam Frazier, who is hitting as hot as he is, not starting. That's inexcusable. That is inexcusable. And these these mistakes, these this babying, essentially, cannot continue as these games get more important as the month goes on. It's a long season. That's going to be just the last point I'm going to make here. It's a long season. If you need a day, you need a day. If the bullpen, for whatever reason, needed you know Alex McCray to go up there and pitch three innings after getting you know two off days, scheduled off days this week, I don't know. I I'm not in the head of you know Richard Rodriguez. I don't know how his arm's feeling. This is probably the most he's pitched in a very long time in a season. His frequency with the frequency that he has been. I don't know how Kyle Crick is handling his first year, you know, as a full-time major leaguer. Just, you got to know what's going on in the heads. That's just going to be the last point I make here. And if you have to punt one, I guess punt one against the Cardinals because, you know, you have plenty of chances to make it up rather than, say, against Colorado. But, yeah, it, it was a frustrating week for the most part with some of these managerial decisions. So we talked just about managerial decisions. Now let's talk about another good decision made by Neil Huntington uh, to add defense. You know, very often it seems in the recent past there will be flaws within the Pirates' uh, makeup of their roster, and they don't necessarily get addressed. Uh, but that really hasn't been the case this year. Any time that they really need to fix something. They've been pretty proactive about it. Aside from, you know, resting guys when they're hot, like we just talked about, uh, there was a very big need for better defense up the middle. And after making two huge trades at the deadline, uh, Neil Huntington brings in Hedger Maria. Is that how you say it? Hedgevaria. Hedgevaria. Yeah, I'm going to have to work on that one for a while. From the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, not a great bat, but... An excellent glove. Probably the best defensive shortstop we've had since maybe Clint Barmas. Probably better than that, though. Right, Alex? Yeah, I think Clint Barmas is a fair cop. And that's that's kind of what you need when you have a Jordy Mercer. You look at those teams that you know started the winning in Pittsburgh. It was a platoon of Mercer and Barmas. You had Mercer's bat. You had Barmas's defense. You're able to kind of platoon those guys. And this is, this is Clint Barmas 2.0, I think. Uh, and... This is the kind of rental the Pirates can afford to go out and get. Uh, he's not that expensive, and he helps the team. He's not that big of a risk, and you didn't give much up for him. So uh, I like the move, and I like the message that they're sending that just because we lost you know, that series to St. Louis, just because we went 4-5 and five in our last homestand, does not mean we're going to quit trying. And... You see that with them making this move and then acquiring that left-hander from Houston who's in the minor leagues but could be a long term, a long, uh, long relief guy for them as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to put too much stock into this trade. It's just, you know, a smart baseball move. Guy was DFA. You need, you know, some help defensively up the middle. Here's a good glove up the middle. Yeah, he's worth a 25-man roster spot. I don't know how much playing time he's going to steal away from Jordy, though. And I don't think Hurdle is going to go against his guy and bring in, you know, the good defensive shortstop, you know, in the eighth or ninth inning, whatever you're trying to protect a lead. So it's not going to help much. I'm more interested in uh, this is a two-month audition for the guy to see maybe if you want to, you know, re-sign him this offseason to a, you know, one-year deal, 
uh, to have him play shortstop. He's working to level at second base right now. Uh, see if you want to have a, be a good glove backup for uh, Kevin Newman next year, assuming Newman is the starting shortstop next year. Eh, I think that's intriguing enough. Besides that, though, I mean, there's not much to say about this. It's a backup shortstop that's going to maybe, what, start a dozen games down the stretch at max? Yes, but I will say that this guy is better than our good buddy S-Rod, uh, both defensively and offensively. And um, I don't know about offensively. I'll give you the defense, but he's not as versatile, and I know that you know has been you know Sean Rod's calling card for a bit. And I'll also add that with the disclaimer that in three weeks, uh, rosters are expanded, so uh, it doesn't really matter how versatile you are because there's going to be you know five other people who can play the position. That's what I'm going to go with. That's how I'm going to wrap this off. But he helps a little. Which, if you're asking him to be a defensive savior, I don't think he's going to be that. But if you're looking for just a good glove backup, he's your guy. Yeah, and I, that's what I was saying, where, you know, this was a need and it was addressed. Uh, I think that with a whole bunch of pitchers that pitch to contact, you need a guy with a little bit more range at shortstop, and uh, this guy provides it. And for anything else, it just keeps the fans sane uh, when you hear his name called out over the loudspeaker compared to when they hear now batting number three, Sean Rodriguez, right? Yeah, I don't think fans are taking that very well right now. But the DFA chance, that was, come that, on. That was brutal. I mean, but don't do that. so let's wrap it up with talking S-Rod here and a very, very conveniently timed trip to the DL, right? I mean, I... I Second time this year. Yeah. That's crazy how right before he's about to seemingly get cut, uh, he just gets hurt, and they hang on to him until they need him again. That's so That's so weird how that happens. Uh, I mean, he's going to dip his uh, quad in that magical Colorado River, you know, and be healed on September 1st, I bet. Yeah. So, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to him for a speedy recovery. Uh, we can't wait to have him back in September and, you know, playing center field on Sundays or whatever they decide to do with him. That will make people upset. But, yeah, that'll wrap up our uh, what's going on recently. And uh, so up next, we will have our first guest in the history of the River Blast podcast, Jared Prugar, kind of a minor league aficionado, covers the Altoona Curve, and he will be joining us to talk about the recent farm system rankings that came out, and how the Pirates play into all of that. So, enjoy. Joining us now, our first ever guest on the River Blast podcast, and it is Jared Prugar. Jared, uh, who all do you write for? Uh, as of right now, I just write for DKPittsburghSports.com. Okay. But I, you can see some of my older work on, on Pirates Breakdown or Lots on Pirates or Pittsburgh Sports Report, where I met uh, my good friend uh, Alex Stump, who I believe is on the other end of this podcast. Yes, I am. Welcome back. Wow. Long time no podcast. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's weird that you're, you've been cheating on me for so long now that we've gone our separate ways. Um, but but I'm really glad I gave you plenty of opportunities to come crawling back to me. Right, and and now you're just just my best friend, and that's okay. It, it is. It is fine. 
All right, Jared. So Jared Prugar with us again from DK Pittsburgh Sports. He covers the Altoona Curve in Penn State, if I'm not mistaken there. Um, no Penn State football talk uh, right now, being that this is a Pirates podcast. Uh, so what we have you on here for is to talk about the farm system. Uh, we're taking a look. Farm system rankings from Baseball America came out, and the Pirates are ranked 16th in all of baseball. Uh, compared to all the other farm systems. You take a look at the past year rankings, 2013, they were 8th. 2014, they were the best. 15, they were 7th. 16, they were out of the top 10 at number 11. And then last season, they were number 7. This is the first time in a while they've been in the bottom half of all the teams in baseball with the 16th uh, overall farm system. Jared, with a team that is as young as the Pirates are and having a lot of their big-time prospects called up recently, is this something to be understandable or is this something that, you know, fans should be concerned about as, uh, you know, this team's always looking towards the future? I think it's very understandable. You look at guys that, that they've really relied on to come up, like an Alex McRae, uh, guys like that. It's, it's perfectly understandable that why their, their farm system is ranked so low. And also, just covering the system the way that I have, I've noticed that after Altoona, the, the prospect depth is really not there. So, so to be 16th, I think, is is a good thing, um, and while it's not as nearly as high as what it has been, you're, start, you're starting to see the the prospects come to fruition and get to the major leagues where, yeah, obviously they're not going to be on prospect lists anymore, so the Pirates farm system rankings will probably drop. And then to follow up real quick, uh, you talked about um, not seeing a lot of big-time ranked prospects, uh, you know, lower than double-A. Is that something that we could see change after, you know, the recent draft picks like Swaggerty and everyone else get a little bit more reps and have a chance to make a name for themselves? Or is this something where there's just been a complete drop-off and, you know, finding talent in the last couple of years where we don't have much in the low levels? See, I think Swaggerty's going to be okay. Um, I'm actually excited to watch him play in the New York Penn uh, All-Star game next week uh, in State College. But, but no, I think where where do you want the prospects to go at, at this point? I mean, you're pretty loaded at, at AAA. There's a log jam here at the majors, I believe, in the outfield especially, uh, and at certain positions. So there's really nowhere for these guys to go. And, and if you're going to be able to turn some of those top prospects around for, for maybe a guy that can help you at the major league level right away, maybe a guy like a Taylor Hearn, uh, even though he was a double-A, just turning those guys into, into win-now types of players. I think it's I think it's okay to, to have a little bit of a of a slow spell uh, with the prospects at the at the lower levels. Um, but through the draft and, and I'm sure through the offseason transactions, they'll be they'll be able to get that ranking back up uh, and, and really get some of those prospects down to to load up those teams in Western Charleston and Morgantown and even Bradenton, uh, to name a few. So, since this is Pirates Prospects Talk, we have to, by law, talk about Mitch Keller. Uh, Keller is now in AAA and still is the Pirates' number one ranked prospect, but he spent a lot of the year in AA. You saw more than a handful of starts from him. Obviously, we all know the hype, but are there any red flags with his game that you think people aren't really addressing right now? I think holding runners on is where he's, he's lacked uh, of late, especially later in Altoona. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's just, it's game reps. It's, it's learning how to, to really get the most out of your ability and, and deal with some adversity. 
Obviously, he hasn't had the amount of success that I think he's wanted in AAA. I haven't been able to see uh, very many of those starts, but, but he dominated the Altoona and AA level very easily, especially when he first came onto the scene. So it's really just him trusting his, his stuff and, and really developing that into, into dealing with adversity when things don't go his way. Another big uh, name in the Pirates system is a recent first-round draft pick, Cole Tucker. And you talked about how there's like log, log jams in the outfield at the major league level. Well, there's sort of a log jam at AAA for Tucker, if you look at it, with the middle infield depth that they have in Indianapolis that will soon be in the major leagues. Uh, people are starting to wonder, you know, where does Cole Tucker fit in in the long-term future of this team with Newman and Kramer, and then, you know, O'Neill Cruz waiting behind him, who might not be a shortstop, I guess, by the time he reaches the majors. But with this middle infield depth, is Cole Tucker kind of the odd man out here because of how he struggled at the plate? And have you seen him kind of develop as a better hitter as the years gone on? Or is this going to be a guy who simply makes the major leagues because of his defense? I think definitely defensively, he's right where you want to be. He's right on the cusp of being a major league infielder. Um, obviously hitting, he switched, He hits from both sides of the plate. So obviously that's a little bit tougher, and the average isn't quite where, where it needs to be if, if you look at average being the, the end-all, be-all statistic for a hitter. But, I mean, you look at his on-base percentage at, the, at, at this point, it's 321, which isn't necessarily terrible. Uh, he's not a power guy. Uh, he does have four triples on the year, but but as the season's gone on, I mean he's he's logged 107 games, so the durability is is there. Uh, it's just it's what do you want out of out of your leadoff guy? Because this is this is somebody with speed. This is somebody with with that natural given ability. It's where where do you see him develop? Could he be better defensively than a than a Newman or a Kramer? Yes. Um, now offensively, then. You, I think it's 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 fair to let to watch his his skills develop because I don't think he's not he's not he's definitely not coming to AAA this year unless something drastic happens when rosters are expanded and um, here coming up soon. But I think if you give him the chance to, to really work on his hitting, I think another trip maybe to the fall league could be expected. Um, but the big thing is is his health, and he's he's proven that he can be a durable. Durable guy at the shortstop position where his glove, his glove plays, um, but it's just bringing up that that average as a as a switch hitter. Another infielder in Altoona uh, that's really getting a lot of buzz is Cabrian Hayes. Uh, Pirates seem to be set at third base for a while. They're going to give Moran, you know, reps. But you know, Hayes, I think it's fair to say, won't be in the major leagues in 2019. Do you think in 2020 uh, he could? He's on the right path to being a pirate in 2020, and if, let's say, Moran doesn't pan out at third base, he could be starting by then. I think it's very possible. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I think his his glove is major league ready now. It's his his offensive game that that really is what he needed to work on this year, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, the man was an all star. He's he won the defensive gold glove at third base for the Miners last year, but. Uh, let me pull up his stats here real quick. But he's a guy that, that if he continues to grow, I mean, he's hitting 288. He's slashing 288, 367, 455. And he's seven home runs this year, which is the most he's ever hit in his uh, minor league career. So the bat's starting to come around. He's got three triples and 27 doubles. So 
So there's a lot of extra base power, a lot of gap-to-gap power that, that really you didn't see at the lower levels. I know a couple of guys have mentioned in my talks with them that in single A, it's they're, they're throwers. They're, you don't really know where it's coming. So I think him, he has benefited very well from, from moving up to double A, where now you're seeing guys pitch to a plan, pitch to a game plan, and, and really follow through. And now they're not just throwing whatever they got in the tank. It's they they have methodology behind their pitches. They they're they're hitting spots. They're they're knowing locations and, and knowing situations. And I think a guy like Brian Hayes has, has benefited tremendously from that that growth in Double A. So to wrap things up, uh, oh Alex, did you have another one? Well, I was gonna ask. I mean, we've asked him the big names, but you know, every once in a while, prospect or two sneaks in under the radar. I mean, who do you have? Maybe that could be a contributor in the near future that not a lot of people are keeping their eyes on right now. I like Stefan Alimes, Um, To be perfectly honest with you, he's a double. He's the double play partner of of Cole Tucker, um, but he's played a very strong second base for the curve this year. He's really defensively, man. Watching him and Cole up the middle has been has been a pleasure to watch. But this is a guy from New York City. It's it's a guy who's gritty. He's only 23. Uh, uh, he's six foot one nine. He was drafted out of uh, Tulane in, in 2016 in the third round. But he's quietly hitting 273. Uh, he's got 15 doubles. He's really been a catalyst towards the bottom of their order, and he's slowly having the the best year of his his minor league career. So it's it's been a lot of fun to watch him grow. And he's a guy that, I mean, obviously we talk about that log jam up the middle, that he's a guy that, should an injury happen, he's a guy that could really, really see some bigger playing time uh, in the future, barring trade, injury, or, or any kind of setbacks like that. All right. Well, uh, Jared, thank you for coming on and uh, talking with us about the farm system and, you know, putting your awkward uh, host history, co-host history with Alex aside. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm really glad I could be the, uh, the first, first guy you guys had on. All right. Thanks again to Jared Prugar for joining us and talking about uh, the Pirates Farm system. I thought that went pretty well. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, it went great. Yeah. That's a good guy. Yeah. And uh, it, was it awkward for you at all, you know, like having – him and me, and on the same conversation, it's kind of like, you know, having your ex and your current, you know, podcast host, co-host together. Was that weird for you at all? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, it was real awkward. It's like, oh, well, uh, Jared, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Noah's three years younger than you. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm doing better. How about you? <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get into our segments. Buy, sell, trade. Um... I'll start off first. Uh, I am buying the big three, and no, not the not the Ice Cube Basketball League. I'm talking about the three arms that pitched against Colorado: Jamison Tyone, Joe Musgrove, and Chris Archer. I am buying into those three guys being the Pirates one, two, three in their rotation for 
possibly the next three to four seasons. I'm really excited to watch these guys come into a big series and have all three of them pitch in a row. I think it gives the Pirates a very good chance to win two, if not all three of those games. Um, You have so many different roles that those guys meet. You have Musgrove, who's just the junkyard dog, and he'll get you seven innings regardless of how pretty it is. He'll grit it out. You have Tyone, who's essentially the leader of the team. He's capable of doing big things, but his his uh, floor is, I think, the the highest, I guess, where he will not perform poorly compared to everyone else. He has the, yeah, the lowest floor, or the highest floor, I guess. And uh, then you have Archer, who's the ace, who's capable of doing the most, and he's the guy you acquired to be the, you know, the potential face of the franchise, come out, pitch in the big games. I like all three of these guys as a 1-2-3 punch, probably Archer 1, Tyone 2, Musgrove 3, uh, coming forward and uh, it's exciting to have this kind of rotation built I think this is the best one two three punch the Pirates have had in their rotation since probably you know Cole Liriano and Burnett uh, or you know Hap if you want to throw him in for the month and a half he was here Um, but no I, I really like this moving forward and I'm excited not only to see how this trio does for the remainder of this year but the many years to come. I think that they're going to be pitching in some postseason series together, and I expect big three, big things from all three of them. And to move past the big three, you know, Williams has gotten better as the year's gone on, and you got Keller coming up in the system. So the Pirates rotation as a whole is something that fans should be excited about. Um, selling, I think, who will be end up being the odd man out of the rotation, Chad Cool, to the bullpen. I know Alex probably won't like that one. Um, Chad Cool. I think is a guy. He's got a lot of. He's got a lot of gas in that arm. He obviously has, you know, the velocity, and he's shown promise to be able to be that, you know, back end of the rotation guy. But when I look at him compared to Trevor Williams, compared to Mitch Keller, compared to Joe Musgrove, assuming you know he'll never take the place of Tyone or Archer. Those are the other three guys that he'd have to beat out. I don't see him being better than any one of those guys. Maybe Trevor Williams, I don't know. Um, he probably has better stuff than Trevor Williams, but I just like Trevor Williams as a starter more. I think Chad Cool pitches with the intensity that would fit well into the bullpen, and his velocity would make him a solid, maybe like a seventh-inning guy. Could be a potential replacement for like Richard Rodriguez if he were to leave next season. And uh, I'm trading... All of these current player bobblehead promotions that they were doing. On Saturday, they gave away Andy Van Slyke bobbleheads, and it was the coolest one that they've done for years. And I want to see more 90s replica bobbleheads. As much as I enjoy my Sean Rodriguez and Josh Bell bobbleheads that they gave out this season, I want to see this 90s team kind of be remembered a little bit more, get the recognition that they deserve. Where's the love for Mike Lavalier? Where's the love for Doug Drayback and Zane Smith? Where's the love for, you know, Barry Bonds or Bobby Bonilla? I know those some of those guys weren't the best people, but they were all very good players who deserved to be recognized to the level of how the Pirates recognized Andy Van Slyke. So I want to see more 90s bobbleheads or even 80s guys. Where's the Tony Pena one? Give me some give me some more 80s pirates. Some teach me about some of the guys that I wasn't able to watch in person. Uh instead of, you know, commemorating a home run hit by a guy that's now batting like 150. Alex, what do you think of my buy sell trade? Well, you're forgetting about the best bobblehead 
of the bunch, you know, this past month. That was the Hulk one. Oh, Kids Day. yeah, what was that? It, it was a piece of garbage, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> because I saw it, I was like, oh, Hulk bobblehead, maybe I want to, you know, get in on that, but no, it, it looked like a toy. And I, bobbleheads look like toys in general. It looked like a toy version of the toy. Yeah. Uh, one comment I want to make about your big three. I guess two comments. One, whenever you said big three and you were talking about Ty, and I was thinking you are going to be talking about the NBA theme week, week with uh, Trevor oh. Williams. With him, Cole, and Ty, and say, like, my three versus your three. I See, thought, you the basketball guy, that was going to be your big three. Come on. Yeah, I really dropped the ball on that, pun intended. Um, I, oh. I, I really like those jerseys that they had, and I cannot believe I forgot to talk about it. Uh, you know what? I'm going to sell Jamison Tyone's jump shot because that picture with him doing a T-Rex two-handed style follow-through on, I don't know if he was trying to make it look like the sky hook that Hakeem Olajuwon would do. Um, uh. We'll talk more about those jerseys real quick also. Shout out to our boy Richard Rodriguez uh, and Edgar Santana who just wore Jordan brand jerseys. They didn't have player jerseys. Uh, don't have their contract numbers in front of me, but I can I can assume that they're both able to afford an NBA basketball jersey. Um, Trevor Williams wearing the black James Harden jersey with the red shorts did not match at all. Gotta love that. Uh, and David Fries and Yvonne Nova as the refs. I like that whole uh, that whole get up idea. Um, it was really fun. I think the winner was obviously you know Musgrove rocking the oh, no yeah the Dikembe Matumbo Denver Nuggets blue jersey. I mean that was incredible. And I also I, I liked uh, Kellan Esrod both wore the uh, Magic Johnson purple Lakers one. I liked and uh, Jay Hay Jay Hay rocking the Allen Iverson was fitting for his size, and, uh, you know, he looked like a hooper with his headband and his arm sleeve and everything. He, you know, I'd probably, I'd probably imagine he's probably the best basketball player in that clubhouse. Uh, maybe him or some of the pitchers, too, but he looked like, you know, Allen Iverson with the size. for just, you know, size alone there, man. Yeah, well, I mean, I would also... I mean, we're, we're not speaking in hyperbole, like, Joe Musgrove was almost a foot taller than Josh Harrison here. Yeah, but I'd take Musgrove as a football player. We'll move on. What's your buy-sell trade? And the other comment I wanted to drop real fast about the big three, I don't know how you could feel bad about Tyon, Archer, and Musgrove as your one, two, three for the next three years. Yeah. Knowing that Tyon and Musgrove will most likely get better. I mean, that seems like as good a top three of the, you know, rotation out of any team that's not called, like, Houston or Boston. Yeah, I mean... One of the best in, in the National League. And you look at the division... The NL Central was built off of teams that hit well. You know I mean, the Reds, who are in last place, they have hitters. I mean, the Cardinals have arguably the best hitter in the National League right now. The Cubs have a, a deadly lineup of hitters. And the Brewers have, you know, a stacked lineup with hitters. I like that the Pirates are going to be a team that's going to be pitch heavy. Pitcher heavy. Pitcher first. Their bullpen's going to be good. Their starting rotation could potentially be the best starting rotation in the NL Central. Top three in the National League maybe next year if everyone plays to above their potential. So that could be that could be big. They could be the outlier in the NL Central and help them win games and shut down these big, strong lineups that they're going to be facing in the division. Okay, my buy-sell trade here. I'm going to start off with Tyon as my buy, and I'm buying his slider. It's looked real good. Uh, this complete game that he had in Colorado, uh, good spin on it. And actually... He started throwing it in late May again, 
and pretty much every month it's gotten more spin as the season's progressed. In June, it was hanging around, you know, a little under 2,300 rotations per minute. Uh, in July, it was a little over 2,400. Uh, this last start, 2,436. That's It's trending the right direction. I'm not saying it's, you know, this outstanding pitch yet, but just the pure, uh, just that it's there and that he'll throw it, the threat, and the way that he could change the eye level to play with the curveball and the fastball and how they look similar for so long, leaving the hand, especially against righties, I think it's looking really good for him so far. So I'm buying the slider. Um, I'm selling this uh, idiot who went on the podcast last time we did a buy-sell trade and said that he was buying Sean Rod's bat. I am buying uh, S. Rod's swing right now, you know, coming off wow. the DL. Wow, all right, we're back uh, at yeah, it. We're, we're right back it's at it. It's a tennis match of hot takes <laughs> right now. <laughs> I I'm not gonna say you know you know 2016 Estrada's back, but I think Sean Rodriguez, good utility player, is back. Good utility bench player is back. It maybe I'm I don't know if this whole season will end up being you know a positive that they did hang on for him for now. But hey, you know what? He's here now. I think he will be a net positive going down the stretch. That was pretty bad. Not ideal. I I got a different angle uh, to look at the game. A couple uh, last week against the Cubs, whenever Sean Rudd had his golden sombrero game, uh, four strikeouts for the limit. Yeah. Uh, his leg kick and bounds just seemed so off. I mean, it's good to get that different angle because he'd have the leg kick and then he'd almost be unbalanced balanced on his, you know, on one foot as the pitch is coming in. It hasn't even left the pitcher's hand yet. It looks like a really bad swing that's all sorts of out of whack right now. I don't know what happened in that Cincinnati series. I don't know if he just, you know, took advantage of some meatballs that, you know, he couldn't to, you know, in Chicago. But you look at the swing at the angle I did, and you got to wonder how he got into the major leagues with it. It just looked really, really ugly. Maybe he can work on it while, you know, he's rehabbing from his quad injury. Yeah. We'll find out. And I'm going to celebrate the trade here uh, for Jim Tomey, inducted into the Hall of Famer. Over 600 homers, no-brainer Hall of Famer in my book. And you know what? Good for him for rocking the new C logo instead of Chief Wahoo on his plaque. I know he's a Hall of Famer because of, you know, what he did in Cleveland whenever he was wearing uh, Chief Wahoo. But you know what? You have a chance, you know, how do you want to be remembered? Be on the right side of history. Good for him. And I'm going wild card here. And we're adding a fourth category here. It's buy, sell, trade, burn. All right? And I am burning... The little brother of the pirate parrot, that costume, it is horrifying because the parrot's beak is not, it's not just jettisoning out at you. All right, there's a little indent on it, which makes it look good from, you know, whenever you're at a hand, you know, head front, you know, perspective. The little baby bird, it's all just indent. It looks like it got hit in the face with a booking and he's a cartoon character you know the teeth are going to start falling out in a second it's it's really really ugly and also i'm just going to throw this out of the question how old is the parrot because for a long time i was under the impression that the parrot you know was 10 or something years old also because you know that'd be appealing to kids meanwhile his dad and mom you know whenever it's mother's and father's day at the ballpark you know they have you know the mama parrot and the papa parrot and they look like they're 60 something and meanwhile he's you know, the older brother to this, you know, two-year-old. I'm, I'm starting to believe that it's not his older brother and it might be his son and they're just trying to pass it off. Yeah. It's a 
conspiracy ball the Pirates. Uh, well, you got to remember, Papa Parrot uh, has a pretty sketchy past back in the, you know the late seventies and the early eighties. So he might look a little older than what he you know really is. He's probably done some hard time. He's he's clean now. It's alright. <laughs> he's clean. He found he found Jesus, and that's you know that's great. You love to see that. Jesus. Yeah, he really did. Um, but yeah, I agree to hit on yours. Um, tie on slider. Yeah, the number. The numbers don't lie. Since he added that on May twenty seventh, he's been great. Um, five ERA since then. Yeah, and you look at selling S Rod. Yeah, I, I, good luck selling anybody S Rod's bat or your take on S Rod's bat. Uh, I I didn't buy that once you made that take. I I, I knew I was ready for that to happen. Uh, that <laughs> that to come back and bite you, and then. And then you're, who did you trade? Oh, the Jim Tomey thing. Yeah, um, my take on that, uh, I, I don't mind it because he did at one time in his career wear the C block. If he never came back to Cleveland, uh, and the only hat that he played in was the Chief Wahoo, then maybe it's a little different, I think. Uh, but I agree because he played in both and because of his choice, it was his choice. I'm 100% fine with him having a C-block hat. It is being on the right side of history. I know that some people say, well, he he was better with the Chief Wahoo hat on. But at the end of the day, it's what the guy wants. And the the Hall of Fame is about honoring the player. And the player should be able to determine how he will be depicted when they're honoring him. And if that's his choice, then no one else should be able to really say anything. You know, if like I wouldn't have been mad if Ken Griffey Jr.'s bust had his hat on backwards because that's how I remember Ken Griffey Jr. when I like look back at him, just a kid, you know, playing around the outfield backwards or anything like that. So yeah, I'm fine with him having whatever kind of Cleveland logo as long as it was indeed a Cleveland Indians logo. It could have been a batting practice hat for all I care. Whatever one that he wants to wear, as long as he wore it at least one time in his MLB career. Go for it, man. It's all you. And it's yeah, burning, burning the the baby parrot. Uh, that that's a tough one, man. That one. Uh, like if I walked into a room and that costume was just sitting there, and it was just me in that costume, I'd be pretty terrified. Um, I, I imagine it's kind of like uh, if you work, if you're making a Muppets movie or something, and you just walk into the Muppets room and you see like Kermit and Miss Piggy, they're lifeless because they're you know puppets. And it's it'd be very unsettling. I feel like that would be my reaction if I saw this uh, costume and nobody was in it. So let's move on to our next uh, segment: sink or float. Alex, you have a sink or float. I will determine uh, if it sinks or floats. What's your take? Do I get to explain my take, or do I just have to give the take? No, no, no. no. Give it to me. Give it to me, and All then right. it, you can explain it. All right. My take is the pirates do not get thrown out at home for the third out of an inning enough. Okay. Now, here's my explanation of it. Uh, yesterday, uh, Francisco Cirelli made an out at home for the second out of the inning. It was a bad send, collision at the plate. Overall, very bad decision. And a lot of people are going after Cora because he's had a couple of these rough decisions. But I like the, aggress- the aggressiveness at third base that he's been you know, sending guys whenever there's two outs. Because if you decide to hold him at third base with two outs, you're basically banking unless the bases are loaded, you're basically banking that your run chance probability is the guy's batting average. I mean, I guess there could be a wild pitch or an error, but that's so minute right there. So if Josh Harrison is up, it's like, okay, so 
I've got a 25% chance if I hold him at third, or if I have a 50-50 chance, I'm sending him home. I like it. I think a lot of people don't get thrown out at home because people are too scared to make that third out at home. I like the aggressiveness. If it works out half the time, I think that would result in more runs. Uh, yeah, I, um, that floats. I, 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 I agree that I have no problem with being aggressive, but on the base pass with two outs. I, I like that you, and I think that players in their mind that throw home with two outs is much different than it is with one out. Uh, I think that, you know, being that that can end the inning, they might overthrow it or, you know, the, the pressure might be on when they're really kind of pushed up against a wall. So I, I like forcing it. Uh, and, uh, but my take on Cora, I don't think Cora has been a very good base coach this season. There's been many instances where they've, uh, been unprepared on the base paths, which I kind of put a hundred percent on the third base coach. I mean, you can blame player knowledge, but, uh, they have someone out there trying to help them and they've made a lot of mistakes coming home and, uh, that, that comes on Cora, but yeah, I, I agree with your take on it. I like the this I I would like to see them try to be a little bit more aggressive with uh less than two outs and yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'll I'll give Cora a thumbs up for this year. I'm not saying he's doing a great job, but overall I think I think he's better than say Sofield was. And I know they're making comparisons with Sofield with the windmill right now. I, I don't think it's fair. I think Cora is a better coach. All right, so now we have uh, our next segment is called Well Said Clint. Um, this this uh, audio comes to you from Saturday after the Pirates lost to the St. Louis Cardinals, and Alex McRae was chosen to pitch in a tie game, come in, and he got rocked. He got rocked. Went three innings. I think he allowed three runs up of, like, four hits and four walks or something like that. It was ugly. And uh, MLB Network's or not MLB Network, MLB.com's Adam Barry uh, asked Clint about it, and this is what he had to say. Obviously another short start, but what led you to go to uh, McCray with the inside there in the fifth? Who would you go to, Adam? Richard Rodriguez, if he was available. So, <laughs> Alex, you have a little bit of a background story to that whole, you know, mix-up. What? Tell us what, real quick, what went down before that happened. Yeah, I was in the elevator whenever uh, Adam and a lot of the other beat reporters were coming down for Clint's presser. And Adam's like, I promise you, he's going to ask, who would you have pitched today, Adam? Yeah. And you know what? He called his shot right into the right field bleachers like Babe Ruth. And you know what? Extra credit to Adam. He was prepared with an answer. And he even put the good uh, uh, closing if he was available. Yep. At the end of it. That was very smart to have that available because that would be an easy cop-out. Like, Richard Rodriguez, Richard Rodriguez, oh, he wasn't available. So, it was, it's funny, there's mutual respect between the two. So, you know, we could joke around a little bit like this. There was no malicious, it was like an actual question, you know, in fairness. Uh, so, yeah, that was, a, that was a fun exchange. I, I mean, he's he snaps, Clint snaps at guys all the time. Uh, reporters and Adam Barry is kind of the one who gets it the worst, I think. And he does. and uh, props to him though. I mean, everyone likes to come at journalists and for whatever reason, but Adam Barry's someone he never backs down from asking an uncomfortable question. Which I mean, the positioning itself, you know, Clint Hurdle's up on a podium, he's looking down at you, 
And this is a guy who you know will snap at you if you ask him something he doesn't want to hear. And Adam came in there, he did his job, and like you said, props to him for having the answer and delivering it the proper way. If he, like, stood firm and said, Richard Rodriguez, duh, or something, that's just going to make his job worse, and it's going to probably end the press conference after one question, which kind of screws everyone else over. But he did it in a way where it was... It wasn't even passive-aggressive. He was just giving an answer to the question that Clint asked him, and uh, things were able to continue from then on out. But I thought that was really funny how that all went down. Um, and uh, that's that's the side of Clint Hurdle that, you know, some people... With Hurdle pressers this year. What's that? Post-game pressers. Say that again? That little back and forth. I think that's one of the better ones we've had this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, he... he, he he did one to me, but yeah, that's that's that was one of the better ones uh, that we've seen the back and forth. Clint's favorite thing to do is just kind of come at you and say, "Well, have if you've been watching or this or that," and um, you know you got to take it with a grain of salt. And it's kind of funny to see <laughs> to see him do that though, so blatantly the to kick off a press conference after a loss like that. He uh, Clint knew damn well that that was going to happen, that question was going to come, and I think both of them were prepared for that little scuffle that went down. So, Alex, uh, our next segment is an update on Richard Rodriguez's Twitter followers. Followers, We are nine away from our goal. We can do this. We can do this. 91 followers. We are nine away from our goal. I am pretty confident that however many have... Do we need to do, like, a We Are the World situation? You know, raise... Raise what? Like, awareness? Yeah, like, you know, everyone gets around, we are the world, we need to get Richard to 100 followers. No, I, I do still stand by my comment that whoever will be his 100th follower, if you screenshot a picture of you being his 100th follower, to me, or Alex, uh, because, you like, we, we told you to, you know, we, we if you jump on the campaign... And you get him to 100. If you're number 100, I will I will Venmo you 100 pennies. That is a promise, because that is, a- that is uh, that's a promise on my end that I'm willing to uphold. All right, and uh, we'll wrap things up. Former pirate of the week, and it is uh, the most recent. It is the newest former pirate, Tyler Glass. Now, uh, in two games with Tampa Bay, seven innings pitched, two earned runs, 14 strikeouts. One walk, two home runs allowed, uh, including his last start where he struck out, be- believe it was nine and four innings. Alex, what are, what are your thoughts on how Glass now is doing with Tampa Bay? Is this to be expected in the kind of organization that he went to with bullpenning? Yeah, I mean, good for him. That's just my two cents on it. I mean, he showed a lot this year, I think, with the parts that I was comfortable, you know, giving him a chance to be a starter again next year, or at the very least, give him, you know, a bigger role in the bullpen rather than just, you know, inning eater. Yeah. So I think maybe he just needed a change of scenery. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he does have a good career with Tampa Bay. And you know what? I'm rooting for him. I am too. I mean, if he, if he was playing in the division, it'd be one thing, but for him to be playing for the Rays, uh, you know, that's obviously not a fun place to be traded to, but I, I wish him all the best. I hope he has a good career, him and Austin Meadows, and it's good to see him finding this early success that he really couldn't seem to grasp here in Pittsburgh. Well, uh, that's that's all we got for you all today. I hope, uh, you know, you enjoyed listening to episode number four. Alex, any final remarks? It's, it's okay. I mean, 
Jared and I, we had our thing in the past, but you know, you're my podcast now. Don't worry. Oh, well, thank you. That makes me feel special as, you know, the new guy in the podcast relationship with you. Um, it's good to know that I don't have to be looking over my shoulder. So for Alex Stump, uh, give him a follow at Alex J Stump on Twitter, S-T-U-M-P-F. Uh, and also be sure to give your boy a follow on Twitter, Noah underscore Hiles 95. Uh, we thank you for listening to another episode of the River Blast podcast. Got a big West Coast series to watch uh, tonight is where it starts. And uh, as always, we'll sign off by saying let's go Bucks.